Are you looking for a word from God today? If so, First Baptist Dallas is glad to present this dynamic message by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is a premier Bible teacher, pastor, and author whose practical applications of God's truth help guide and encourage those who seek to know and follow the Lord Jesus. I know you'll be blessed. And now, the message by Dr. Robert Jeffress. A book titled Die Broke (laughs) offers a unique perspective on death and finances. In this best-selling book, the author proposes that instead of trying to accumulate a lot of money and leave it behind, you ought to spend everything you have while you're alive until you have zero in your bank account. He says, in fact, your last check you write ought to be to the undertaker, and that check ought to bounce. That's how you know if you're successful. (laughs) A lot of you are on the way to that, right? Amen. (laughs) One popular writer notes that in addition to dying broke, a lot of people are dying broken. As they come to the final years of their life, their lives are marked by regrets, isolation, loneliness, bitterness. Do you know people like that? You just feel the bitterness oozing out of their body whenever you're around them. I don't know about you, but when I'm around those people, I want to run as far and as fast from them as I can. But more importantly, I want to make sure I don't become like them. Instead, I want to face life and death just like our character, our friend, Abraham. And today, we're going to look at the final chapter in Abraham's life and discover some important principles for how to die with a smile on your face. If you have your Bibles, turn to not Genesis 25, we'll get there, but turn over to 2 Peter chapter one. You know, some people wonder, why do we devote so much time to Abraham? Why does he receive so much ink in the book of Genesis? F.B. Myers says it's because Abraham models that one quality God desires most in each of us, the quality of faith. Remember Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abraham is a model of faith and all of the qualities that stem from faith. Peter talks about that in the passage we read a few moments ago, 2 Peter chapter 1 I want you to notice that Abraham's faith, like ours, should be growing. He had a growing faith. You know, so many people think that once they trust in Christ for the forgiveness for their sins, that's it. That's the ultimate. That's the destination. No, that's just the starting place of your Christian faith. That's the basic faith. But God wants other things in our life as well. Look at 2 Peter 1, beginning with verse 3. Seeing that God's divine power has granted to us everything, underline that, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. 
When you trust in Christ as your savior, God gives you not just part of himself, he gives you all of himself, his Holy Spirit. He has granted to you everything you need to live a life that's pleasing to God. Once you become a Christian, you don't have to start begging and pleading, oh God, please send your Holy Spirit to me. He's already there. He's granted you everything you need and he gave it to you as a gift. All you have to do is receive it. But then notice, once we receive that gift, there's some things we're supposed to do, not to earn our salvation, but to complete the work of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Look at verse five. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, you supply, and then he mentions seven qualities, moral excellence, knowledge, and so forth. This word diligence refers to a, rider, a, a runner who's giving it everything he has as he gets toward the finish line. He said, we're to have that same attitude. Again, not about earning our salvation, but working for our Christ-likeness, our sanctification. And that takes effort. There's this faulty philosophy among Christians that, oh, just as you can't do anything to earn your salvation, there's nothing you need to do for your sanctification. Just let go and let God. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever happens, happens. You will end up with a spiritually bankrupt life if you do that. It requires effort to live as a Christian. You supply. I think about one of our former deacon chairmen when he came by to see me to visit with me, almost every time he came, he came with a beautiful tie. He wore the same kind of ties I do, and he liked them, and so he'd be at the store, and he'd pick up one. Man, I wish we had him back again. Uh, no, he, he was great, though. And uh, he'd hand me that gift box, and I'd open it up and pull out the tie. But for that tie to do me any good, I had to exert some effort. Not only did I have to take it out of the box, I had to put it around my neck. I had to tie a Windsor knot. I had to slip it up. I had to tie my tie for it to do any good whatsoever. It required effort, even though I had received the gift. Now, that's exactly what Peter is saying. There's some things we have to supply, and Abraham is a model of every one of these qualities. The basic thing is faith. We exercise faith. Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed what God said, and his faith was counted as righteousness. But Peter says to your faith, add moral excellence. That was Abraham. Now, he wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes. Remember the Hagar fiasco and his trip to Egypt? He had some zigs and some zags along the road to godliness. And you do too, and I as well. But generally, his life was characterized by moral excellence. For example, when he got those rewards from the kings of the east, uh, he could have kept it. They were rightfully his, but he was concerned more with the glory of God than his own wealth. And so he freely gave that away. That is moral excellence. To your faith, add moral excellence and then knowledge. Not just knowledge in general, but a knowledge of God. Abraham grew in his knowledge of God from the moment he trusted God at age 60 till the moment he went home to be with God at age 175. One writer says it this way about Abraham. All of his life, he was a student in God's college of divinity. Are you learning more every day about God through your relationship with him? Add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. 
Proverbs 16, 32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he, he who rules over his spirit is better than he who captures a city. You see that over and over again in Abraham's life. For example, when Lot takes advantage of him, takes the choice land, he doesn't become angry and resentful. He guards himself against anger. When he hears the news that Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed, knowing his relatives there, he doesn't become overcome by worry, but overcome with faith. It's self-control. To your self-control, add perseverance. I've cited it before, but I love Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What a perfect description of the Christian life. It's going the same direction. Again, you'll have detours along the way, but over the long haul, your life is characterized by marching toward God and godliness. I think about Abraham, especially those three days he and Isaac walked to Mount Moriah, the place of sacrifice. As I imagine that experience, I think that Abraham had to pray for strength to take every step he took every additional step, knowing that he was about to sacrifice that which he loved the most. The only reason he was able to do that is, remember, he believed that God is able to raise his son from the dead. He believed God that much. And I'm sure as he tried to find that strength to take the next step, he had to say over and over again, God is able, God is able, God is able. That's perseverance, continuing to march toward God and godliness. And that's the next word. To your perseverance, add godliness. That comes from an English word, God-likeness. Abraham was like a piece of metal that was drawn by a magnet to God. His heart was always drawn to God. Whenever he went to a new location, the first thing he did was to build an altar to worship God. That's godliness. To your godliness, add brotherly kindness. Remember, remember that word kindness means usefulness. To really care about somebody is to give them what they need, not what they deserve. Abraham did that. Uh, he rescued Lot, taking him from the kings of the east, even though Lot didn't deserve Abraham's kindness because of what he had done to him in taking that choice land. Abraham was still kind. He did what was useful for Lot. Aren't you glad God treats us with kindness? Titus 3, 4 says that God demonstrated his kindness toward us by sending Christ to die for us. Even though we deserved eternal death, God offers us eternal life. And the final word, love. This word love is not some syrupy, sentimental kind of love. It's agape love, a God love. You see that in Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, he was willing to offer that which meant the most to him, his son Isaac, because of his love for God. Abraham's final years, his faith was growing. But I want you to also notice something about Abraham. His final years were marked by a special attitude I'll call bullish. He was bullish in his attitude toward these final years of life. Now I want you to think about Abraham. Put yourself in his sandals for a moment. His wife, Sarah, had died. His son was finally out of the tent and on to have his own family and so forth. 
He had all the money he could possibly want. Remember, the Bible says Abraham was wealthy, literally heavy. He was loaded with wealth. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Now, if you were Abraham, what would you do? Move to Florida? <laughs> Buy a condo? Spend your time chasing a little ball with a stick around a putting green? Getting a Winnebago and tour the country? Not Abraham. He still had things to do. He had a bullishness toward life. And you find that in three ways. First of all, he got a new wife. <laughs> Look at verse one. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. We don't know much about Keturah. I think one thing we can safely assume was she wasn't a Canaanite because of Abraham's instruction to Eleazar about the son for Isaac. She wasn't an unbeliever, but we don't know much about her at all. And uh, people wonder, well, wait a minute. Did that mean he didn't love Sarah, whom he had buried? Not at all. Look at Genesis 23, 2. When Sarah died, she died in Hebron. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. In his 175 years of life, there's only one time the Bible records that Abraham wept, and it's when his wife died. And that word to weep literally means to beat one's chest. Some of you know that kind of grief after losing a mate. I've not had that experience, but some of you have. I had a widow say to me one time, she said, Pastor, you cannot understand how lonely it is to go into an empty house. Many of you understand that. Abraham experienced that. And he didn't want to be alone in the final years of his life. Nothing wrong with that. Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good for a man or a woman to be alone. If you've lost a mate, there's nothing wrong with finding another mate. It doesn't mean you loved your former mate any less. It means you don't want to be lonely. That was Abraham. He got a new wife, and uh, I don't think he ever expected Keturah to replace Sarah. He had spent over 100 years with her. There's no way to discount a shared heritage. You'll never have that shared history with a new mate. It's a different kind of relationship. And so he wasn't uh, saddled with unrealistic expectations as to what a new marriage would be. It would have to be different. He also probably didn't worry about unwarranted criticism. You know, some of the cruelest people in the world can be church people, uh, especially when it comes to somebody uh, marrying somebody new, different after death or desertion or defection. You can just hear people clucking their tongues. Why? Can you believe what Abraham's doing with that young woman? I bet Sarah's spinning in her grave right now. <laughs> no, no. It's not good for a person to be alone. If you are a widow right now, if you've lost your husband or wife, remember, you are free to marry you're free not to marry, but whatever you do, just do it in the Lord. But Abraham decided he was going to have a new wife. Uh-oh, here it comes. And with the new wife came a new family. Abraham had six more children with Keturah. He was 140 when he started the new family. Abraham was so old that both he and his children were in diapers at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but that was God's plan. Remember, he said to Abraham, you're gonna be the father of many nations. And Keturah was the way that was going to happen. He had a new wife, he had a new family, and notice there was a new, a growing generosity in Abraham. Do you know some people who, who, who when they get older, they get more stingy, they just hold on to their money tighter and tighter and tighter. There are living illustrations of that old adage philosophy, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. <laughs> well, Abraham refused to sit on the can, so to speak, with his money anyway. He was very, very wealthy, but all of his life he was generous. Remember when he saw Melchizedek after having that great victory, he willingly gave a tenth of his assets to the Lord through Melchizedek. He willingly gave the choicest land to Lot. He willingly gave up his right to riches after defeating the king of the east. And now we see the same generosity in verse five. He realized everything he had wasn't his, it was God's. He was just a manager. And so verse five says in Genesis 25, while he was living, he gave a generous gift to Isaac and to his other children. Now look, we are stewards. And the Bible says we need to take care of the money that God gives us. And that's why every Christian for sure ought to have a will that specifies what happens to your money when you've gone. You either get to decide or the government gets to decide. I'd rather decide, wouldn't you? Make sure you have a will and your money's going to take care of your family, 1 Timothy 5, 8. If anybody doesn't care for his own, he's worse than an infidel, is um, denied the faith. Make sure your children are cared for. Did you know Proverbs 13, 22 even says we're to care for our grandchildren. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's the triplet's favorite verse. They've memorized. No, I'm just kidding. But we need to be careful to give uh, to our family, take care of them in our death. But Abraham did it while he was alive. You know, I think about my grandfather, he wasn't an extremely wealthy person by today's standard, but God had blessed him with some money. And for more than just tax reasons, he decided he wanted to give money away while he was alive. He wanted to see his children and grandchildren enjoy what he had worked for and take care of some of the needs that they had. That's a wise way to live. That's what Abraham did. He had a growing generosity. Now, Here's Abraham's life. His faith was growing. His attitude was bullish. New wife, new family, generosity. Now we come to Abraham's death, his departure. And the one way that describes the way he faced death is the word satisfied. I remember reading a poll in USA Today that asked people the question, how do you know if you're successful in life? What is your yardstick for success? Interestingly, only 25% said, my yardstick of success is money. 60% said it was expertise in your career. 63% said successful children are the way I measure success. But 83% of people said the real measure of success was being satisfied with your life. Satisfied with your life. By that standard, Abraham was extremely successful. Look at the verses describing his death. 
Genesis 25, verses 7 and 8. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life. And he was gathered together with his people. Boy, I would love to have that as my epitaph, wouldn't you? He died at a ripe old age, satisfied with life, and gathered together with his people. How do you pull that off? I want you to notice from Abraham's life, three facets of being satisfied with your life. First of all, he was satisfied with his past. He was at peace. He was content. That's what the word satisfied means, content. He was content with his past doesn't mean he had a perfect past. He didn't. The first 60 years of his life, he was an idolater. He was an idol worshiper, just like his father had been. He had made big mistakes, not only before he was a believer, but even after he was a believer, he sinned. But he knew his sins had been forgiven. That's the only way you'll be at peace with your past. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. Remember in Romans 4, Paul uses that experience as an example of what saving faith is. Romans 4, 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. Abraham knew that as blemished as his past was, his past had been forgiven, forgotten forever by God because of his faith. Do you have that assurance? Do you know that your sins have been wiped away through the blood of Jesus Christ? That's the only way you're gonna end your life satisfied if you're satisfied with your past. Not only that, Abraham was satisfied with his present, his present life, especially with his children. He knew as he faced death, that he had successfully passed on the baton of faith to his children and his children's children. Where do I get that? Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Now, look at verse 20. By faith, Abraham's son Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his grandchildren, even regarding things to come. And then by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, his great-grandson, Joseph, and worshiped, leaning on his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. You get that? By faith, by faith, by faith, down the generational line until 430 years after Joseph, when Moses was ready to lead the Exodus, the children of Israel remembered the instructions of Joseph made 430 years earlier. Why did they remember them? Because the faith had been passed on and on and on throughout the generations. Dr. Crystal used to say, every civilization is only one generation away from barbarism. If we don't pass the faith to the next generation, the faith is lost. Abraham knew he had passed on his faith successfully. Now, I know some of you feel guilty about that right now because maybe your faith 
hasn't been passed on to your children and your grandchildren. You know, I remember my parents who are now in heaven. When I was a little boy, I used to walk into their bedroom and there was a picture on the wall of me and my brother and my sister. And the verse under it was 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, than to know my children walk in the truth. There's a great joy when you know your children are walking in truth. There's a great pain when they aren't walking in truth. If that's true of you, let me just remind you, ultimately, you're not responsible for your children's response. God was a perfect father, and yet he had two wayward children named Adam and Eve who departed from the faith, even though they'd been raised in a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden. But just remember this, the final chapter of your children's life hasn't been revealed yet. Your duty is to pass on that faith and keep loving them, keep praying for them. The end hasn't been revealed yet. Abraham did the best he could in passing along his faith to his children and to his grandchildren. Thirdly, Abraham was not only satisfied with his past and his present, he was satisfied with his future. Look at verse eight. Abraham breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. What does that mean, gathered to his people? Some people try to downplay this. I read some commentators who said, oh, that just means he was buried with his ancestors. Well, no, that's not what happened. He wasn't buried with his ancestors. He was buried with Sarah, but none of his other ancestors. No, who were Abraham's people? They were the godly who had gone before him, Seth, Enoch, Noah, Methuselah, all of those. Where were his people? Not in the cemetery, they were in heaven. This is a expression for going to heaven. When Abraham died his last, he died at a ripe old age and he was gathered with his people in heaven. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. When you shut your eyes for the very last time here on earth, <clears throat> who are the people you're gonna be gathered with? Are you gonna be gathered together in heaven with the saints who have gone before you? Or are you going to be gathered in hell with the blasphemers? the skeptics, the critics. We're all gonna be gathered with one group of people or the other. Abraham knew he was gonna be gathered together in heaven with his ancestors. You say, Pastor, that sure is reading a lot into this, to read heaven into this. How do you get heaven out of this? By reading the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Even though he was a wealthy man, he never owned a piece of land until the end when he bought a cemetery plot. He never built a permanent house. He lived in a tent, even though he could have afforded much more. Why? He was looking for something better. And at the end, he experienced it because of faith. Abraham was willing to let go of his desire for money, for approval, for fame, 
in order to grab hold of that which is eternal. That's why we honor the life and the death of Abraham. When I think about letting go of the temporary to gain the eternal, I think of that legend from India that Erwin Lutcher recounts in his book, Your Eternal Rewards. Remember the legend of beggars stood beside the road with a little bowl to beg for rice from those who would stop by? One day, a wealthy chariot pulled up and a wealthy Raja descended from the chariot. He went over to the beggar, looked into his bowl and said, give me a grain of rice. The beggar was perplexed. Why would a wealthy man want a grain of rice? But he gave it to him, felt obligated to it. The wealthy Raja asked again, give me another grain. And now angry, the beggar gave him another grain. I want another, the Raja demanded. And seething with bitterness, this beggar gave him the last grain of rice that he had. The Raja left. The beggar was standing there, not understanding, resenting what had just happened until he looked into that little bowl and he noticed something glittering. It was a piece of gold, a grain of gold, the size of the grain of rice that had been taken. And as he looked further in the bowl, there was a second, there was a third. For every grain of rice he had given to the wealthy man, the wealthy man had exchanged it for a grain of gold. And then Erwin makes this application. If we clutch our bowl of rice, we shall lose our reward. If we are faithful and give God each grain, he gives us gold in return. And the gold God gives will surely survive the fire. Abraham was willing to let go of that which was temporal to gain hold of that which is eternal and will never fade away. He's a perfect demonstration of Hebrews 11:6. For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. That's the life of Abraham. On behalf of Dr. Robert Jeffress and everyone at First Baptist Dallas, thank you for joining us today. Our hope and prayer is that the biblical truth of this message will continue to be a blessing to you as you apply it to your life. For more information about First Baptist Dallas, we invite you to visit our website, firstdallas.org. May God bless you richly today. Thank you.